As the racing season winds down, the separation season begins. Now, when I say separation season, I don't mean the season to separate yourself from racing, although that's exactly what many of your competitors are doing. And that provides an opportunity for you to separate from the pack. Within This Is Bracket Racing Elite, we focus on growth year-round, but the gains, they're, they're small, they're incremental during race season for two reasons. Number one, because your attention as a racer is split, right? You've got upkeep, maintenance, travel, all the things involved with the racing season, in addition to a focus on your own growth. And because other racers are working hard at that time too. It's this time of year, this separation season, where putting in the work can really allow you a leg up on the competition. If you're serious about doing just that, and you'd like to surround yourself with a group of knowledgeable trainers and accountable peers with the tools, the resources, the wisdom to help you take that next step, and perhaps even with the occasional kick in the pants to keep you on track, this is Bracket Racing Elite is the answer. We've helped thousands of racers just like you take the next step toward becoming the best version of themselves on the racetrack. Elite can help you do the same. Enrollment is open as of Monday, November 27th, and it closes December 8th. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite. And it's all that we know, it's the way alive. Give all that we got, right at a time. Do whatever we got to do. We never know if it's our one last ride. If you want some, come and get some. Cause I'll be Today's podcast is presented in part by Portatree. Portatree is a leading manufacturer of practice trees, simulators, and test tracks with quality products designed for racers by racers. I depend on Portatree for my own practice. Check them out at portatree.com and be sure to stick around to the end of the show. We'll provide you with a discount code for 10% off your next Portatree order. This week's podcast is brought to you in part by Bill Taylor Enterprises. BTE is a manufacturing, design, and support company that specializes in high-performance automatic transmission assemblies and components for drag racing, off-road, marine, and street performance. With over 50 years of experience in drag racing, BTE has been a trendsetter and innovator, placing themselves and their customers ahead of the pack. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast with Luke and Jed. I'm Big Jed, Jared Pennington. He's Cool Hand Luke Bogacki. If you're a regular listener, thank you for your patronage. If you're new, you'll probably catch on soon enough. Our goal is to shed some light on the events, news, and issues in sportsman drag racing and the stars within it. It's time for the big interview. On the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast with Luke and Jed. All right, and joining us now is uh, reigning 2018 NHRA Competition Eliminator World Champion. That's his second NHRA Competition Eliminator World Championship, Frank Aragona. What is happening, Frank? How are you, sir? All right, Luke. I'm doing well. How are you? Excellent. Excellent. Thank you for taking some time out of your schedule to uh, join us here on the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast. Uh, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Start this off like we do most of our um, 
interviews with the champions. Obviously, you've come a long, long way in this sport, but I want to get back to how it all started. I know that you're a second-generation racer. Let's start from the very beginning, like earliest racing memory. The earliest racing memory I, I truly have. I mean, I've been going to the track even as a baby because my dad raced for, you know, since he's 18. So I don't really remember that. But the best memory I'd have would have to be around 10 years old when uh, I started going to like national events with him. And I remember, you know, 1980 Gator Nationals, which is now my favorite race and track because of that. We used to actually line up. The comp cars used to line up alongside the track in Gainesville. Now they have separate lanes actually behind the starting line. I remember just hanging out the window of his suburban at 10 years old and watching comp eliminator cars going down, you know, a lot of five speeds in them days, just screaming engines, you know, nine, 10,000 RPM, all his friends that I kind of grew up hanging around. And I just said, I remember clearly saying to myself, I'm going to run that. And one day I'm going to win. And uh, that's what I did. You know, that's probably my first real memory. And then from then on, I just started going to races with them as much as they possibly let me. So between you and your father, Frank, have you guys been involved in competition eliminators since the class's inception? Yes, he has. Obviously, he ran modified. He started out running pro stock, actually. He had, uh, in 1970 or 71, he built himself a Vega. That was pretty much a lot of the guys had back then, like Jenkins had and stuff. He built that. He ran it for a few years and, uh, you know, just local because they ran uh, pro stock at points races, divisionals back then. So then, you know, that class quickly got out of order for, he was just a, you know, regular working guy, electrician, and it moved into, he moved into modified eliminator and then which turned into competition eliminator. And of course, the minute I got my license, I wanted to go down the track. So whatever I had that I was driving to work in school, I took to English town and they used to have like racing on Friday nights that you could take your regular car and Saturday nights and obviously Wednesday nights for test and tune. And I just started going down the track and then I got in bracket racing a little bit. I eventually got like a 69 Camaro and, you know, he helped me out. Took one of his old small blocks, made it into more of a bracket motor. Probably was a, a modified eliminated motor at one time, but we made it more mild cam and just uh, started bracket racing. I, I never really won any big bracket races. I won like a small race at uh, Hampton Raceway out on Long Island, New York, one time. And the best I did out of English Town on a regular weekend was like a runner-up in a bracket race. That's it. From there, I always wanted to get into competition eliminated because that was obviously my love and he was still running it so i was like on his crew and then eventually uh, i sold that 69 camaro which sorry i did <laughs> but i sold that in order to build my first comp car in 94 and that's what i did i built a, a sea of Connell dragster in 1994 my first comp car and raced alongside your father at that time or yeah we tried that for 94 and it, it was rough and obviously he likes working on the car and making it work and doing that a lot more than I do. I like driving it and I like the competition. I like the strategy and I like turning on wind lights. So the first year of 94, we raced two cars and it was tough because like I was his crew and he was basically my crew. So he said to me at the end of the year, he goes, you know, I actually finished eighth in the division my first year, which was pretty good back then because Back in them, in them days, you, you had 50 cars running in competition, like 50, 60 cars, especially in Division One. 
So he said to me, you know, he goes, I think that we'd do much better if you drove and I handled everything with the car. And I said, you all right with that? And he said, yeah. So in 95, we actually went to the first divisional down in Orlando, Florida, and uh, we won it. That was my first win. The rest is, uh, you know, history from there. <laughs> no kidding. So you've been involved in Competition Eliminator as a driver for, what, 23 years, 24 yeah. years? Basically nonstop, right? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, I've went to uh, pretty much every divisional in Division One since and a few out of divisions, you know, various years we were doing well, chasing points, obviously you are. And uh, anywhere from... I'd say two to 10 national events a year on, you know, different years. Sure. Sure. Now, obviously this is your second NHRA national championship, almost or a little over a decade in between your last was in 2007, finished second last season, a slew of top 10 finishes in between and probably prior to your championship year as well. Your first championship year as well. I didn't really go back that far. I believe it's half a dozen division one titles. Yeah. Yeah. Six of them all in comp. How is this season's chase unique and different from those that you've been through throughout your career? This season, three years ago, NHRA competition eliminator took a big hit with the economy and, and people not willing to put the work and money in to run competition eliminator. So we've lost a lot of participation. So three years ago, and I work on the uh, SRAC committee, which is the Sportsman Races Association, works with NHRA to um, I'm the division one rep and with me and the six other reps, we work with NHRA and we try to find ways to get participation back in the comp and go over different things we could do and suggest to them. And hopefully they listen and make some rules and make it better. So three years ago, they instituted this um, personal index system, which for most of the, the guys like me that have been racing comp forever, didn't really like it. But we accepted it because we want other guys to race. It basically helps out the guys that, for lack of a better term, just don't have it, you know what I mean, or have the money. So it kind of like gives them a chance to get some extra index and be protected from guys that can work hard and put the money that it takes to run really fast and be competitive so their index don't get hit. Like, let's say if they were in the same class as me, their index wouldn't get hit from me. Right. Basically protects the racer from somebody jumping in their class, bombing the index and rendering their combination useless. Right. Right. So essentially make a long story short, what that did was that made the last three years and this year, especially kind of more competitive because now since it's been instituted, more guys have been coming out. So now you come out and they, and when they did that, they gave everybody a 10th on their index. So now you got all that extra performance that was basically given to you where we've been beating up our indexes over the years and trying to get trophies here and there. And that made it much more competitive. And this year, as far as I'm concerned, was the most competitive. And I think if you look at the points, it proves it. Because the amount of points I won with, it's very tight, the top five. And, you know, last year I won with, I think, uh, 60 more points or 50 more points. I, I lost with 50 more points. Right. You know what I mean? I came in second. So that's just showing you how much more competitive it has made it. You just would say that that rule, more than anything, created more parity throughout the class, top to bottom? Exactly, exactly right. 
And I think it's a good thing, you know, because that's what we aim to do and NHRA aim to do is to get more guys out there. Because as you know, as well as I do, what's the one thing that's going to bring a guy to the racetrack if he could win, right? Yeah, right. Feeling you know, like as much as we all say the money and this and that, it, you know, if a guy could win, he'll, he'll spend his last dollar to get there and, and get that feeling of a win. So. You make guys competitive, they're going to come out and race. And I, I think it's it's working. And that makes this year much more unique for me because it was so competitive this year. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. How is that more fulfilling on your end, knowing that, you know, I mean, no matter how you look at it, I guess you earn it. But knowing that that level of competition was up across the board, does it feel more special to, to come out on top? I guess it's difficult to compare the two championship seasons, I'm sure, but it's a different atmosphere, right? Right, definitely. And I, I, I don't know if it's, if it's more fulfilling, but it's definitely different because there is the other aspect of it. When I won 10 years ago, there was full fields everywhere. There was less uh, buy runs. There was uh, much more very competitive cars, you know what I mean, and drivers. So you went in some races you actually had to qualify at. Now, you really almost don't have to qualify because we're not filling the 32-car fields. I mean, I've not qualified two times in my career, and once was at Indy, and once was at Gainesville. And I was 58 under when I didn't qualify at Gainesville. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) Right, right. The difference in how it was years ago when 60 cars were running the class. When you look back on this season, I know that for you coming into a season is probably a little bit different than most. I'm sure that you enter every season feeling like you're a a contender for a championship, but was there a point in the year where you had some success and really thought, wow, this could be the year that we do this again? Yeah, actually, to be honest with you, and I even said this in my speech, as much as we, every one of us races that races at this level, we set out to win a championship. That's always there. You, You know, You'd be kidding yourself if you if it wasn't, if you said it wasn't. So this year, but my one goal was I got this little stupid bucket list that I've been chipping away at for many years. And the one thing on my bucket list that I haven't been able to fulfill is to join you as a U.S. Nationals winner. I just can't uh, seem to knock that one off the list. And that was my goal for this year really was. I mean, I wanted to get to Indy and I wanted to be on my game on a starting line. I wanted to have enough index to where if I needed to lose some index permanently, I was okay with it. And But then what happens is you go out, first race you run her up, first two nationals you win, and now here we go. You know what I mean? You know, you're chasing points and your focus changes a little bit and I tried to be conservative with index and other guys during the year, which what I explained to you with the personal index moved classes, this and that, and it made them much more competitive. And it caused me some losses, which I actually won the world championship, but I lost the divisional championship this year. And the reason why I, I lost it is because um, Doug Dahl was running in a different class, which made him his performance much better. He had a lot of personal index to use up, and he used it up through the summer. And I wasn't willing to use it up, so I was trying to save to get to Indy and maybe use it up there if I had to. Of course, all this in my head, I go to Indy, and I go 001 red first round. So there goes that thing off the bucket list once again. But So when you say, was it really the mindset? It always is, but my one focus this year was Indy, and it didn't happen. So. (laughs) 
luckily we won the world championship. I wanted to get to Indy because I actually, I, I think I read your interview in National Dragster and I never would have dreamed that you hadn't won Indy. So I would imagine that this is like 20 years of heartbreak at that event, but I know specifically the last two years because you were like 1,000 red this year, correct? Yeah. And I remember watching from the fence last year, you lose like an epic round with Plord, right? Oh, yeah. Last year, I thought it was my year to win Indy. I mean, sure. Look, I got to tell you, if I had to pick a day, a, a race that was my best driving race ever, it was last year in Indy. And I was trying to go there with the same mindset this year. And what happened was, I think I got, I think it was fourth round, if I remember properly, when I met up with Brad, he was clean and I was used up because I'm telling you, if I was 10 in the earlier rounds, the guy was 12 or eight. You know what I mean? If I was 20, he was 18 or 22. And if I was 60 under, he was 58 under. So I wound up using up a lot of index by the time I got to him. And he was the recipient of some good luck and didn't have to use any. And I wasn't able to win. <laughs> sure. Yeah, that definitely, probably to some extent, the story of any category, but definitely the story of competition eliminators, yeah. who you run when you're on them. If it's any consolation, Frank, the year before I won the Spring Fling Million, I was the best that I ever drove there. And a guy named Jeff Verdi got in my way at like 11 cars. Right. And then the year that I won, I, I was fine, like, but it was nothing like the year before. So it's coming. Like I, uh, I'm, I'm confident it's going to happen. I, so. I, have, I have a little more uh, ammunition for this year, and I'll, uh, I'll let you know on it. I'm building, me and my dad are building a new car, and uh, it's basically uh, the same combination that I'm running now, the six-cylinder straight six, but put it in an altered, and it's going to give me a, pretty good cushion of index and i tell you when i get to indy if i can keep my head on straight and uh, just try to instead of trying to be double o try to be 20 or 30 i will lose 10 at least to win indy if i can <laughs> this will be a center steer altered yeah cool yeah. you've done you've had a, a similar car to that in the past no yeah i still have one i have the uh, it's a four cylinder it's a geocon altered but this one i'm building Super lightweight, a little bit different for the six zone. That car's pretty old, it's, so I wanted something new. And uh, the index is, is pretty good. Nobody's beating it up real bad, so I'm looking forward to it. Cool. Sounds like bad news for the competition eliminator crowd. As we look back again on, on 2018, we kind of went through, you know, when did it trigger as to as to when it might be your year. Looking back just at your points ledger, at the time, it's. I think you still had some races remaining, and it might not have seemed like the pivotal race, but certainly looking back, that points meet win at Lebanon Valley looked like what ultimately sealed it. Would, if there was a key round along the way, did it happen at that race, or would you pinpoint somewhere else? Yeah, that definitely was a key race, but I think what winning those first two nationals and then my third national score that I used was in Chicago because I had won the All-Stars. So I was going rounds in Chicago too. And, and again, I was willing to win because obviously you get the double up bonus to win. I was willing to lose some index there once I got in that situation and things started to pan out. And that would have been my third win for a perfect national score. So I said, this is the time to use it if you can. And I got pretty deep, but um, Greg Campaign was willing to lose more. And uh, he basically put such a hurting on his own index in that class. He had to get out of the class and uh, he was able to get around me. So that caused me a semifinal finish. So I think having those three national event scores 
kind of put everybody else, you know, it's better to be chased than chasing. And, and that's pretty much what I did for most of the year. I was getting chased instead of chasing. So, and then, uh, like you said, that Lebanon Valley win definitely uh, helped the points and made them have to chase a little harder. I would agree with you that it is better to be chased than the chaser, but I think it's easier mentally to be the chaser. You know what I mean? Like, and not having to kind of, you just uh, kind of forced to race to win. Whereas almost inevitably when you're leading, you almost feel compelled to race, not to lose. Would you agree with that? Yeah, that's true. Absolutely. Down the stretch. I think you were out of races, but still you went to a ton of races throughout the year. And I want to get to that as well. I would assume mainly to, to block, but down the stretch, it wasn't just a matter of there being four or five guys that had an opportunity to catch it. It was like, a who's who, a competition eliminator at the top, right? You're talking David Rampey, Craig Bourgeois, Clint Neff. Yes. What uh, kind of take me through those last few weeks, even though I don't think you could improve your score, like what all was going on around you and what was your thought process going into those? So the thing is, you don't know who's going where. You know, you kind of figure out who's going where. So we wanted to go to the, the Rockingham Divisional for a lot of reasons. Division two is pretty very bad in participation in competition eliminator. So last year, what caused me to finish second behind uh, David was a few races with, in division two with hardly any cars. I think maybe five cars, seven cars, you know, and you throw in a Byron in there and it's like basically a couple of rounds for an 85 pointer, as opposed to going somewhere and going five rounds for 95 points. So that hurt last year. So we knew this year when we got to that point and we were out of races and Rockingham wouldn't count as much as I'd just like to go and win another trophy anyway, it was a good idea to go down, see what happens, see if we can race him and possibly stop him from getting a win. And sure enough, there was only eight cars. So it would have been another, you know, 85 point of uh, three rounds. And um, luckily we, we uh, got matched up second round and we did race and I was able to come out on top of that one and, and that kept us in the game. And then uh, you don't know where other guys are going, like you fly and this and that. And it seemed like everybody was going to go to Vegas. I'm very good friends with Clint Neff and we talk uh, every day to every three days. And um, he was having some um, life issues and, and we weren't really talking about who's going to go away. We were more concerned about making sure he's all right. But the whole year we had talking about hopefully possibly finishing first and second this year. You know, you talk about it, you know, just kidding around. And um, I really wanted that to, to happen. And I figured he was the best chance in beating me. And I, you know, and I told him that I said, with the amount of races you have left and how many points behind me you are, you have the best chance. I mean, he had to go deep. He had to go past like third round at the divisionals, if I remember right, or vice versa, maybe past fourth round at the divisionals and third round at nationals. But he probably had the best chance besides uh, David Rampey. Uh, Come the end, uh, Bourgeois had to like, uh, I think, win a race and it had to be a 95 to, to pass us. So when we got to Vegas, um, crazy things happened. Um, Bourgeois was, was taken out. Clint didn't show up. And Jeff Lane, also at that point, he may have had an outside chance. He uh, he crashed his car, pretty sure, at that race. In the first first round or maybe in qualifying, forget where it was. So he was out. And Rampy wasn't able to make the call. 
in in a, one of the rounds, which is very rare. He had some sort of issue with the car, and he didn't make the call. So that left it down to me, Clinton F. And um, still wasn't sure if Clinton was able to able to make Pomona, and unfortunately, he wasn't able to. I didn't want it to go down that way, but you know, luckily we were able to win. Either way, at that point, we were going to be one and two. Yeah, no, that's got to be special in and of itself. You know, finishing one and two with, with your buddy as you yeah. kind of planned out all season. Did it take any of the shine away from it? The fact that he wasn't able to to make that last run. Yeah, it definitely did. I was thinking about him the whole time, and I would I would like him just to be there. You know, we have a lot of fun together. He's driven my cars, and and uh, we're just very good friends. So what? No matter what would happen, it would and it would have been bad to have him there, and both of us trying to take them all out. You know, so. Like he was able to do it when he won, he won um, Dallas. And I think he beat Bourgeois and David. I think he beat David in the final. Right, yep. Yep. So, you know, it was just fun. We talked a little bit just about the the logistics of chasing a title and in particular this title for you guys because comp is just like any other sportsman class, right? You get uh, your best three out of six nationals and your best five out of eight divisionals. Yes. And I think you ended up going to eight national events and 12 points meets or somewhere along the line. I assume yeah. all of that was in, in kind of blocker mode towards the end. Right. But this took you not only to the, I would say, the the typical regions for you guys, mainly Division One, Division Two, but as you mentioned, plumb to the other side of the country out west to, to Vegas and Pomona to kind of finish things. I don't think from the outside, most sportsman racers or particularly like bracket racers there's mainly our audience here within the podcast realize the commitment that goes into chasing a title and at some point as you illustrate like you're just all in and whatever it takes we're going to go try to win it how difficult is that to juggle at times especially when you get late in the season and have a shot it's it's incredibly difficult especially trying to decide where to go in the current situation with comp like even guys said to me I can't believe you didn't go to this race, you know, thinking it was, you know, there was only three cars there. I'm like, but you know what? I'm not going to start running in, in all different directions at that point. I, I tried to, I'm pretty loyal to division one and I try to run all the, the races in division one. We started out early in division two because I like to go down to the warm weather and get away from the bad weather here. So we started out early and I knew that would run, running those two divisionals early in division two would run me out of running all seven in division one, but I also ran a second car in um, division one, which my teammate Michelle Costa drove for me. So that last race counted for her. So I was there for that. And I was also there to see if you can run the guy that's trying to beat you in division and take him out, you know? And then, like I said, the Rockingham and the Vegas, and that just rolled into it. And without my dad being retired and able to do this, he'll jump in the truck and drive wherever, whatever it takes. He loves doing it. I got an electrical contract in the business I got to run, so I can't be away as many days. And uh, I'm able to fly around and, and meet him, luckily. What is your father's role currently in the team? I know that he, he drives everywhere, but he's still turning the wrenches. He's he's as hands-on as ever, no? Oh, absolutely. He takes care of everything. He works on the cars every day. He's, he's working on them today. I mean, he was uh, – pulling things out of the trailer, getting things ready. Uh, it's got motors out of the cars, being freshened up, all kinds of stuff going on. And I think I, I prefaced this a little bit. If I didn't, I should have. We don't spend a whole lot of time on the podcast discussing Competition Eliminator, but I wanted to have you on here because 
A, I think you're an incredible representative for the sport in general. And then I know how big of an ambassador you are for this specific category. You'd mentioned earlier some of the challenges facing competition eliminators, specifically over the past few years, and how you've worked with the advisory council and, and with NHRA to to get through those. What's your, like, if you were ever to ask you to take the temperature of competition eliminator today, what are the challenge, some of the challenges facing it and how are you guys working to get through them? Okay. Well, I appreciate that. And I certainly love competition eliminator. And I think if you actually got into it, that it would draw you in. I mean, I know it's a, it's a kind of class where you have to like get into it and really learn it and love it. And then once you're in it, it, it just draws you in. It's a, it's an, I think it's the biggest chess game out of all, all a racing because you have so many different aspects of it when you compare it to dot 90 racing or bracket racing or, or, or even like top alcohol funny car, they don't have to worry about lifting where you're doing in dot 90 racing and, and bracket racing. And then on top of it, we have to worry in comp about hitting your index permanently. So the temperature on competition eliminator right now, I think is, Definitely on an upswing because of what I said, that guys are able to – there's a lot of comp cars out there, complete cars sitting in garages that guys either just don't have the money to, to stay on top of it. I mean, today you got to spend $25,000 on heads and manifold to run, you know, like a small block. Years ago, many years ago, you didn't have to do that. I think my, my first set of heads for small block Chevy, you know, cost me $4,000. So it's definitely much more. And the technology today changes so fast. I mean, they didn't have CNC machines back then. You had to take a stock Chevy head and put it on the bench and grind and port and try it and put it on a dyno and take it off and try something different. And, you know, today CNCs, they know basically where to go, where to start, to put it on the machine and, and everybody's doing them. So there's so much R&D out there. So that's basically why we try to stay in a class where there's not that much R&D, where the four cylinders and six cylinders, not as many guys are running it. I mean, I started off um, when I switched over from eight cylinders to the oddball engines, let's call them. I, I went from a small block Chevy to a six cylinder opposed Subaru engine. And we worked on that for three years before we took it to the track. And we were very close to scrapping the whole project. My uncle, who had an engine shop, my dad came up with this combination, and we tested. And we went, we went weekend, weekend out, in and out. And then when we weren't racing that, we were testing the Subaru. Finally, we got it to where we thought it would run. We actually went testing on a Thursday before a divisional in Delmar, Delaware. We went testing at Idco, New Jersey, and. We had to mess with some manifold stuff and we tried something and we went from like 35 under to 70 under in a day. So we hit it when we found the problem after three years and, and just found what worked. We left Adco, drove right to Delmar. The next day I went right to the pole on, in that race. And I think I went to the semis or something. So, and from then on we were, we were pretty dominant with that Subaru combination. That was ultimately the combination that you won your first championship with, correct? Right. And the reason why I'm telling you this story is because you can take a junkyard engine and you know that you feel you can work on and put some 
parts in it that, you know, maybe a stronger crankshaft or whatever and caught the head yourself. And that's basically a junkyard engine and you could be very competitive, but it takes money. You know, to do it that way, it takes a lot less money than going out and buying the $25,000 bill of heads and stuff, but it takes some money. Most of all, it takes a lot of work and a lot of help. And a lot of guys just don't have that. So that's what hurt competition eliminated over the years. But now I think with, and then again, you get a guy like me that does that and comes out and I'm 70 under in the same class. Somebody's running an engine they've been running for many years, let's say a, a six owned Chevy or something, and I start beating up the class. Now, now they get hurt because they can't keep up with me, let's say. You know what I mean? So and that, with the new that, that's no longer an issue, correct? Right, right. So they have they have a full tent to make it um, put it in layman's terms. They have a full tent of protection from me to them. You know what I mean? So yep. I can they can always be a tenth better than me if they don't beat up their index. No, and to your point earlier, like I find the in, entire class fascinating on a on a variety of levels, and like you said, kind of the ultimate chess match. And I, I think I probably understand it better than most, you know, from the outside. And mm-hmm. I follow it, and I do. I, I just find it fascinating. I'm curious. You'd mentioned the oddball combinations that that you guys have had so much success with. How I mean, the advantage to that, like you said, is that not everybody's using it, and in theory, once you figure it out, it's not as costly. I would imagine the disadvantage of it is you're essentially on an island. Like you, you're figuring all this stuff out internally. I guess my, uh, the simple question is how much outside resources can you even depend on or is everything basically in-house to create power? Well, it depends on the combination, obviously. Sure. If you take something like a Subaru, obviously you're on an island all by yourself. If you take something like a, a four-cylinder, like my four-cylinder engines have, it's a Mopar performance after, you know, Mopar aftermarket performance block. And it's a Mopar head that you can buy. And it's um, the one they used to run on pro stock trucks. So you could take that or you could do a four-cylinder with uh, a Chevy head. So it's the Chevy head that are on many eight-cylinders. So you get that all that technology and kind of help from guys with knowing what to do in the head and stuff. So it really depends on the combination you do. No matter what you pick, you in competition eliminate, you kind of try you gotta try to keep some of it close to your chest because if you find something, you don't want everybody to know, so you have a little bit of advantage. But there is a lot of help out there. And today, guys will help you more. Because we want, we want you, you know, like if you come over to me and you say, hey, Frank, I'm going to run comp. What do you think I should do? I'm more willing to help you now because I want you to come to comp. I want you to be it. It's not like I'm, I'm not going to qualify. If you come next week, I'm not going to get in, you know. It's a little different now. So you can get a lot of help out there. And there's many different ways to do competition eliminated too. If you look at David Rampey, he's like um, basically the poster child for competition eliminated in a way because he's been running the same class and basically the same combination for many, many years. The only difference between him and probably the regular guy is he's he's provided with the best engine year in and year out because he, his sponsor is a, an engine builder. So you know he's going to have the best eight-cylinder out there. And, but, but he shows that even if – and he protects his index, but even if other guys hit it, he still stays competitive because they stay on top of the same combination – they know what works, and they just keep after it, and he drives great, of course. 
I think in large part you answered this earlier when you, you hinted a little bit towards your combination that's coming together for 2019. So I'm just going to assume when I ask you what's next that in, obviously the combination's a little bit different, but scheduling-wise is going to be more of the same. You're going to run the Division One stuff and come into the season with, with hopes of defending a title, for lack of a better term. Yeah, definitely going to start out in uh, our normal thing. I mean, I don't know if I'll go to Orlando this year because they – they moved it up pretty early, so the first week of February is kind of tight. I would love to, but we'll, we'll see how that goes. But definitely start out at, at the Gainesville Divisional and Gainesville National, which are back-to-back, and uh, just do our same deal from there on out. I might have a couple of uh, wrinkles thrown in the mix because my daughter's uh, confirmation is on Atlanta, you know, things like that. So you can't go to that race, so you got to find another place to go. But uh, pretty much the same type of schedule. and. Again, I'm going to go in to 2019 with my main goal being Indy, but you know what happens if you start putting points on the board. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Is your intention to start the season with the altered combination, or will you start no, with the dragster? No, I'm going to start, start with the dragster and uh, the altered, you know, coming uh, when it gets a little warmer. I know that uh, no one gets to this level alone. Obviously, you referenced your father earlier. I know that you've got a team of supporters. This is kind of your uh, stage to to say thanks and to recognize any of those people that you'd like. So who's played a big role in your success? Definitely my dad. Without this, I couldn't do anything. And uh, I don't know if you know this, but he's 73 years old, and he's probably in the shape of uh, a 50-year-old. And I'm 49. So he's in great shape. He he loves this. He lives, eats, sleeps, breathes it. So without him, I couldn't do it. And obviously my wife and kids just for dealing with me, not being around all the time and going when they can. I mean, all my friends and family and, and, and fans and people that follow you through the years. The, I, I'm going to tell you a little story. So after the championship, the week I came home from the banquet, I was home sitting on a couch, and I just wanted to do nothing. And I watched the last race of NASCAR. I followed NASCAR a little bit. Okay, so I was watching it, and um, I saw a little story they did about, you know who Jimmy Johnson is, obviously, right? So Jimmy Johnson, when he won the championship back in 11, I think, he started a little tradition of he got a journal, and he wrote an entry into the journal, you know, about winning the championship and, passing it on to the next uh, champion. And he passed it on to the next one. It's been going around each year. Each champion writes an entry into that journal and signs it. I said, wow, that's a great tradition. I said, I'm going to start that for NHRA sportsman champions. So I called NHRA and told them my idea. And they're all right with me doing it. And then after I get all the champions from this year, because I'm going to have, in our racing, there's 10 of us. So I'm going to have each of the champions sign in this journal. I, I did mine. I sent it on to uh, Joey Severance, who won the uh, alcohol dragster, and he's going to send it on to the next one until it gets around to all 10. Then I'm going to give it to NHRA, and they're going to hold it, hold on to it. And then next year, they're going to give it at the, after the awards banquet. They'll give it to the next set of champions. And it'll be like a tradition. That would be pretty cool. Maybe someday, who knows, it'll wind up in the drag racing museum or whatever. But anyway, so what I'm telling you the story for is because in there, I wrote in my entry, one of the main things I wrote is that you win this championship and the driver gets all the focus. And, you know, and today more than ever, these interviews like on your, your 
podcast and and every other website and social media, Facebook Live and that. I've done a few of them now. It, you get all the focus. You get all the accolades. But you could not do this alone. There's so many people that help you out in winning a championship. Even the people that just tell you, you, you can do this. You know, just that moral support. Not even the, the guys that help you work on the car when you, you're home on a weekend that can't go to the race. And then the guys that take off from their lives and their jobs to come to the race and, and help you, friends, family, my teammates. Uh, she, you know, she was out there trying to win races and knock people out and take the points away from them and help me. And uh, my wife and kids driving out on a Friday night after school to support you for the weekend. It's, it's, just, it's just endless. And that's one of the biggest things that I put in my entry into the journal of, of how amazing that is to have those people in your life and support you in something that you love and desire to do so much that they, it's like they love it as much for you to win. You, you understand? I mean, you, you won enough, and I'm sure you know exactly what I'm talking about. It almost makes you feel better than what the feeling is for yourself, for winning it for that. Oh, no question. And thank you for sharing that story. That is one of the coolest things I've ever heard. Uh, the the journal, obviously, that'll be an ongoing tradition. And what a cool prize. I, I, the only thing that I can reference similar to it is one of the years, one of the many years that Gary Stennett won the Supercomp Championship. He decided to start a, a tradition. It was just limited to Supercomp, but he got a, uh, a hood scoop and, you know, emblazoned the one on it and signed it and passed it on to the next champion. And the, the year that that scoop sat on my shelf, like that was way more prized possession than even the Wally. You know what I mean? Right. Just to have that with, you know, at the time it had, I don't know, three, four, five names on it. And it's gone on now. I assume that, uh, that uh, Steve Williams will have it sitting on his desk all year. So pretty cool stuff. Yeah. We, we had something like that in competition. Land. That's and right. I remember. Yeah. Sal Biondo started it in 95. When he won the competition eliminator world championship, he used to ride a little BMX bike around the pits. And you know the plates that they have on the front of the BMX bikes? Mm-hmm. The, next, the following year when he won, he had the number one on it. And at the end of the year, he passed it on. I forget who the next champion was at the time. He signed it and passed it on. And I just got it back a couple of weeks ago from David Rampey. And it was really cool to be putting my signature on there for a second time. And that is something that we, we always pass around. And it's, and it's a proud moment when you pass it on to the next champion. Till I, I remember the first time I won it, Bo Butner came over and we were good friends and he handed it to me because he was the previous champion. It's, it's just awesome. And I'm really excited about this, this journal. And every, every one of the other champions is like, that is such a great idea. They all love it. And they, all, they all can't wait to get it. Matter of fact, um, Devin Eisenhower called me. He goes, hey, I never got it. Did you send it? I'm afraid, I, I was worried it might have got lost in the mail. I said, no, it's coming, buddy. It's just got to make its, its way around, you know. And, I, and as much as you know this, you were a previous world champion. Wouldn't it be cool the next time you win? Like I won in 2007. If this was started back then, that would be awesome to see what all the champions have wrote in there mm-hmm. up to this point. Now that I won again, and I'd be able to see that again. So, yeah, it's, I'm pretty excited about it. I, I thought the idea that Jimmy Johnson came up with was great, and they did like a probably like a 20 minute thing on this on TV that weekend. So it was really cool. I'm excited about it. Yeah, it is. Now, like you say, with every year that goes on, that will just mean more and more and have more history to it. Really mm-hmm. cool stuff. 
Hi, Frankie. I'm going to, I think I could talk to you all day, but we're going to close out the podcast portion of this at least. But we don't let you off the hook easily. I don't know if you've ever listened to our show, but we tend to finish out our interviews with a little bit of rapid fire. We call it rapid fire. They are five very random, rarely racing related questions that typically require a, a short answer. So okay. you up for it? Yeah, sure. All I'll right. What is the strangest thing, Frank Aragona, that you have ever eaten? Eating. Oh, that's interesting because I'm a picky eater. Oh, man. I don't even know if I can answer that fast. I'd probably say liver. Liver. Okay. <laughs> what is uh, knowing your uh, your skill set and, and what you enjoy doing, what is the worst job that you could have? Man, you, you these are tough questions. <laughs> <laughs> I love my job so much. I never thought of the worst job. I'm, I'm an electrical contractor and I just love it so much. Uh, I guess probably be working at McDonald's or something. I couldn't deal with that. I, I don't like dealing with people. If they complained to me about the hamburger, it would be a problem for me. <laughs> <laughs> if you were stranded on a tropical island, what two things would you want with you? Uh, my family and my race cars so I could build a drag strip. <laughs> <laughs> what, uh, this one might get you in trouble. What city in America should not be included on the map and why? Oh, boy. That's a tough one. Man, traveling around, I had so much fun in so many cities. Probably uh, the city that shouldn't be included on the I'd say I'd have to say Chicago because I hate to hear all that killing and everything that's going on there all the time. That's the one thing that drives me crazy why that can't be fixed. Yeah. So. No, as, as an Illinois resident, I can tell you that Chicago is a mess. So, yeah, yeah. that's a good one. Last one. If you could teach any grade and or any subject, what would it be? I'd have to say fifth grade. Cause Why is that? Yeah, my son is in fifth grade right now, and I absolutely have a ball being around him and his friends and stuff. So it's really a good time. He just recently had a birthday, and we took all of his friends to uh, a tramp indoor trampoline park, and it was just a blast hanging out with them kids and, and feeling like being young again, you know? Good stuff. My wife actually used to teach sixth grade and she swears that it's the last year of innocence. You know, like they're old enough that you can joke with them, but they're yeah. not to the point that they're so too cool and getting hormones and everything like that. So that's yeah. what she always said. Same, same age range. <laughs> yep. Uh, Frank, thank you again. Once again, listeners, 2018 competition eliminator, NHRA world champion. Thank you, Frank, for spending some time with us here on the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast. No problem. It was my pleasure, and uh, maybe someday I could get you to take a ride in one of my cars. See how you like Competition Eliminator. <laughs> you wouldn't have to offer that twice, Frank. Be careful. <laughs> All right. You got it. I'll speak to you soon. I want to thank everybody for tuning in to make sure that you're the first to know when next week's episode is available. Subscribe. And you can do that on Google Play. You can do that on iTunes. You can do that wherever you are accessing our show today. Just subscribe. That way that you know that you have got the latest edition of the podcast. You have to be the first to know. And do us a favor. Tell your friends about the podcast. Get your track involved by broadcasting portions of the Sportsman Drag Racing podcast over the PA on race day. For most racers around the country, we are approaching the off-season. What better way to use the off-season to ready for 2019 than to have a regular practice regimen? Portatree products make great gifts for racers. 
If you are assembling that wish list this holiday season, make sure to put port tree on the list. From full-size trees to the practice tree that we personally use and recommend, the Eliminator Next-Gen Touchscreen Practice Tree. port tree has all of the practice equipment that you'll need. For more information, call port tree 1-800-541-7613. Find them on Facebook or check out www.portatree.com. Be sure to use discount code DRAG10 for 10% off of your order. BTE is one of a few full-service transmission companies with a full array of manufacturing and testing capabilities. Their in-house CNC facility is paired with an extensive collection of gear hobbing and shaping machines to produce any high-performance driveline product. From inception, BTE's racing products are designed, prototyped, field-tested, produced, inspected, and even shipped by real racers. Just outside of Memphis, Tennessee, their warehouse and manufacturing facility in Mount Pleasant, Mississippi, is stocked with thousands of parts and is centrally located in the United States for fast delivery anywhere. You do the Kevin Brandon, lay the smack across the land, then you do the L ride and you come out like the world champ. You've been waiting all winter long. That will wrap up this episode of the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast. On behalf of Big Jed, I'd like to thank you for listening. I'd also like to thank this week's championship guest, Frank Aragona, for joining us. And, of course, the sponsors who make it possible to present the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast. Please support them in the same fashion that they are supporting us and ultimately you and all of Sportsman Drag Racing. And tell us what you think. Message us on the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast Facebook page or at us on Twitter. I'm at Luke Bogacki. That's B-O-G-A-C-K-I. Big Jed is at JP11X. Banging on the door, bump, bump, bump until I get in it. Attitude like I am already winning it. Football in it. Enrollment in This Is Bracket Racing Elite is now open. You've heard me discuss, or at least reference, This Is Bracket Racing Elite. It is the premier offering of our website, thisisbracketracing.com. Elite is a membership community designed specifically to help you get from where you are today as a racer to who you want to be as a racer. Led by knowledgeable professionals, Justin Lamb and myself are longtime instructors and we bring in a host of guests, racers that you know, racers that you respect, led by knowledgeable instructors and surrounded by supportive peers that are ultimately striving for the same goal in their own unique way. The truth is at each event, there are a hundred plus entries, there's one winner. At the end of each season, there's one champion. That feeling, not so much the money, not so much the trophy, that feeling of achievement, that sense of accomplishment, that tip of the cap from your peers, that's why we do this. You can dream of that feeling all you want, or you can take action, take steps toward becoming that racer. If you're ready to take the first step, this is Bracket Racing Elite is for you. Enrollment is open now for a limited time. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite before we close the doors again on December the 8th.